0: What has to happen before you're ready? I'm talking really ready to leave. That's going to be kind of our guiding question for this morning. All right, now, sometimes Danielle and I uh, feel so bold as to try to leave the house. That's something we try to do. I feel like Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt. A lot has to happen for us to leave the house, okay? I mean, first we got to locate, we got to locate three babies, two babies, one toddler, three children, we got to locate them. Are they fed? Diapers changed? Have they erupted, spit up on their clothes? (laughs) We got to get the diaper bag, snacks, Water bottles, keys, phone, wallet, probably forgetting something, but oh, Wrigley, is he coming? The dog. Diapers, Diapers, there we go, I just forgot one. (laughs) If Wrigley's coming, we got to get him in the car, get his, you know, collar, get his leash, all that. If he's not coming, which is more likely, has he been fed? Has he been let out? That sort of thing. Now, I do this horrible thing to Danielle, I think most husbands do this Right when we have everything ready, right when we're about to leave, I gotta go to the bathroom. (laughs) Oh, wait, I just gotta use the toilet. All right. A lot has to happen. That's my point. A lot has to happen before we leave the house. (laughs) And that's just leaving the house, all right? Now, on a more serious note, In about seven months, Mike is going to be leaving the house. Mike has received an offer from the Navigators, full-time job. At the end of this year, it's going to start. Mike is going to leave. What needs to happen in this house For Mike to be ready to leave. Now I'm not talking about diapers, wipes, maybe. I'm talking about, uh, (laughs) hopefully not. (laughs) Nope, not yet. Talking about structural changes, I'm talking about vision, I'm talking about virtues. Where do we need to be as a church for Mike to feel ready to leave? Does the book of Acts have anything to say about that? I think it does. In Acts chapter 20, which wasn't read, which is similar to the passage that was read, in Acts 20, the apostle Paul gives a farewell speech to the elders of Ephesus. A lot is going on, and he's jumping from place to place, but ultimately he's trying to get to Jerusalem. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him there. This might be the last time he sees them. So he needs to leave the church in good hands. He needs to know that when he's gone, the church will carry on. And so he packs a lot into this final speech to the Ephesian elders. Now, this is actually the only speech in the book of Acts that's directed to those who are already Christians. So Paul is not preaching the gospel. He's not articulating a theological motif here. He's telling them how to be good leaders. He's telling them the sorts of leaders they need to be so the church can survive when he's gone. The speech is instructive, particularly for us leaders. Now, Paul shows what a good leader is like through two methods, two devices. First, he gives his own example That's kind of the first part of the speech. And Paul's example in Ephesus as a pastor, as a church planter, can be characterized by three traits humility, boldness, and undiscriminating attention. He also, though, later in the speech, he also gives explicit instructions to the elders. He tells them to be or do two things to be vigilant. And to care for the flock of God. Humility, boldness, undiscriminating attention, vigilance, and care. Five items that comprise a true Christian leader. So my purpose then is sort of specific in this message. One, it's for me, it's for our elders, it's for the leaders in our midst to show us what a true leader is like to help us understand our role so that we can better carry it out. I'd also add in prospective leaders, yet-to-be leaders, okay? Now, the majority of you are not pastors or elders of First Baptist, so uh, what does this sermon have to say to you? I think, I hope, this sermon will help you better trust your leaders. I hope that you can see exactly what a Christian leader looks like and You can look at us, the elders and the deacons, and see the correspondence, and thus trust your leaders, especially in this next season. I also think, though, that knowing what leaders are supposed to do helps non-leaders to contribute to the activity of the church. If non-leaders are trying to do what the leaders are supposed to do, it's not a very efficient model, (laughs) So knowing what the leaders are to be like, I think, can help you identify and lean in to your gifts so that the church can function better as a whole. That's kind of my aim in this morning's sermon. Now, before we read the text proper, uh, let me just situate it in the book of Acts. Uh, As you can probably tell, uh, the author of Acts is now with Paul, Um, firsthand Uh, account or testimony about these travels and these journeys. So we get all sorts of place names, temporal markers, uh, names of people, and I'm not going to go over all those details, but just know that Luke is on the ground, and that's why we see that. Ultimately, Paul, he's, you know, visiting churches he'd planted, he's establishing some new ones, but he wants to get back to Jerusalem. Now, this would be his sixth visit to Jerusalem since his conversion, so he's been there, you know, quite a bit. But he's gained a reputation as the apostle to the Gentiles, so he he doesn't know what's going to happen to him there. But that's his aim. He's trying to get back to Jerusalem, but he has to pass through Asia, which is where Ephesus was. Now, he's so tight with the elders at Ephesus that he knows if he stops there, he's not going to make it to Jerusalem. And he wanted to make it there for Pentecost, He'd be detained in Ephesus. They'd encourage him to stay, and Paul knows his limitations. He would stay. And so instead, he sends for the elders to come to him in a town called Miletus, south of Ephesus. It's about a one- or two-day journey, and they come to him, and Paul delivers this speech. So if you haven't turned there, would you please turn with me to Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 17, This will be on page 929 of the Pew Bible, and I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Uh, But before I do that, let me just take a moment to pray. Would you now pray with me? Lord God, we are here with expectant hearts, anticipating a word from you. That's why we're here, Lord, to meet you, to encounter you in this word. Would you now be present to us, Lord? Make us ready, make our minds and hearts ready for that presence. Please help us to be mindful, to be thoughtful, to be focused on what you have to say to us this morning. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, start at verse 17, Acts chapter 20. Now, from Miletus, he, Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God." and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. After this we get a touching scene, kind of like David and Jonathan from 1 Samuel, in which Paul embraces the Ephesian elders, they hug, they kiss, they weep, and they say goodbye, knowing that they would not see his face again. So that's it, that's his speech. Now normally I walk through uh, verse by verse, but uh, as you can see this is a long text, and I'm not going to do that. Rather, there are two sections I alluded to before that I'd like to zoom into. Uh, First, there's Paul's example, which is basically verses 18 through 21. Paul's example features three traits, and I'll look at those in a moment. Then we're going to jump to his instructions to the elders, which comes at verse 28, spans through verse 31. So those two sections we're going to dive into in greater detail, at least for this morning. So let's jump right in uh, and start with Paul's first words to the Ephesian elders. He begins his speech and says, You yourselves know, verse 18, you yourselves know how I lived among you. How I lived among you. Eugene Peterson, longtime pastor in Maryland, he's now deceased. Wrote the message version of the Bible, a lot of famous books on pastoral ministry. He writes that the pastor is not here to solve everyone's problems, fix everything that's wrong in their life. <laughs> Spoiler alert. The pastor is to be with a certain group of people in such a way. That they become what God wants them to be. To be with them in such a way that opens their eyes to the grace of God working in their midst. The pastors to exist among the people in a certain kind of countercultural way. To step outside of the harried, frantic, stressful life that many people experience to access God and to draw the people there. It's to be with them in a powerful, palpable, transformative way, okay? That's what Paul's talking about. He said, for three years, I was with you that way. For three years. The next three verses describe kind of itemize in three traits exactly how he existed among them. In verse 19, he begins with humility. He says, this is how I was among you. I served the Lord with all humility. This isn't strong enough, guys. The word for serve is to literally enslave oneself. And the word for Lord is the word master. Paul didn't come into Ephesus as master. It says he came into Ephesus as a slave of the Lord. The word for humility in Greek is kind of in cognitive, intellectual, emotional humility, it's an attitude of modesty, of self denial, of gentleness. Not presumption, not brashness, not arrogance, authoritative leadership. No. This is the first thing Paul, the great Paul, has to say about leadership. He says, I enslaved myself to the Lord among you. I was humble. He enhances this image with tears and with trials, which befell me at the hands of the Jews. Paul's ministry, one scholar notes, was an embattled ministry. Mike talked about powers and principalities, the spiritual realm. Paul was in the thick of interpersonal, emotional, relational dynamics in which those powers are swirling around. There were tears, there was conflict. Paul was doing life with these people. Paul experienced the side effects of really being involved with a particular group of people. Humility, service. He gave his life to them. Well, too, in verse 20, not only was Paul humble, but Paul was bold. Okay? He was bold. And by bold, I do not mean brash. Brash. I do not mean thoughtless, impulsive in speech. I mean frank. He says, I did not shrink, double negative in Greek, which doesn't mean positive. It means I didn't even think about shrinking from declaring to you that which was profitable. This verb for not shrinking is kind of like the vanguard, the front lines of a military, striking first. Imagine if they shrunk back. They're about to strike and they get scared and they shrink back because they know it'll hurt. Paul says, There was information that I knew would sting. I knew it would hurt, but I knew that it was spiritually profitable. And I didn't shrink back. I didn't even think about it for those three years. Paul was bold. Declaring has to do with information not known, and you tell people the info and they know it. Teaching, the next word, teaching, has to do with organized, structured, repeated information transfer, so people remember what it is you tell them. Not only is Paul declaring one time something that's profitable, he's teaching them regularly, even if it might sting. He says, not only in public, but from house to house. In other words, in private. A lot of Greco-Roman philosophers at this time would teach or speak one way in public, and then in private, they'd be a different person. Paul's saying, not me, you saw me. I was the same, consistent in character, taught and declared the same way in public and in private. Paul was humble, Paul was bold, and lastly, He was undiscriminating in his attention. Verse 21. He says, I testified, I solemnly bore witness to both Jews and to Greeks, both Jews and Greeks, of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul, if you recall, in Corinth, had a run-in with some of the Jews there, and He said, I'm never, never again going to minister to the Jews. I'm done. (laughs) But Paul could not bring himself to forsake his countrymen. He couldn't show preferential treatment to just the Greeks, the Gentiles. He still can't help but minister to both Jews and to Greeks. I think, friends, this is a cipher, this is a, a hyperlink to a host of other polarities. We see in Galatians there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, male nor female, the list goes on. Paul's not just talking about ethnicity or nationality. He's talking about all polarities that exist. Any kind of person that walks through those doors for Paul was fair game for his ministry. Paul was undiscriminating. He was inclusive. If you use that word, anyone who came into his assembly, he devoted his entire life to undiscriminating attention. That's Paul's example. That's it. Humble, bold, undiscriminating or inclusive. Let's jump then to verse 28, skipping a little bit, but here he gives explicit instructions to the elders. He's about to leave, and he's trying to tell them the kind of leaders they need to be for the church to carry on. He says in verse 28, pay careful attention. Pay careful attention. (laughs) Be obsessed with, attentive to, have your eyes opened toward, be sensitive to, almost paranoid about. What? He says, yourselves. And all the flock. These elders are to be the most self critical of all the Christians in Ephesus. They are to constantly have a mirror that points into their heart, and they should be the first to admit their need of God's grace. He's saying, pay careful attention to your own spiritual state, be on guard. Look at your heart. Always ask, how am I doing? First, pay attention to yourselves so that you can, I would add, take care of or pay attention to the flock. Only if these elders are aware of and committed to improving their own spiritual state can they be aware of and attentive to the welfare of the flock. That's what he tells them. He says, be vigilant. That's trait number one for the elders. Vigilance. The second half of verse 28 complements this. It says, pay attention to the flock. In which, hear me, in which, I didn't say over which, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers or guardians. It doesn't say that the Holy Spirit has Place them over the flock to be authoritarian. It says they're to be guardians amidst the sheep. <laughs> Why has the Holy Spirit made them overseers? It says to care for the church of God. This word care, if you were taking elementary Greek, you'd translate it shepherd from the same root as sheep, shepherd, pasture, flock. The Holy Spirit has appointed these men to be guardians among the sheep so that, not so that their heads would get huge and they'd have this grand sense of self-importance, so that they might care, shepherd, nurture, protect the flock of God. Now, this is how important the flock is to God. He tells us what kind of currency he used to purchase this particular flock. It wasn't Bitcoin. It wasn't uh, American dollars. It says he obtained this flock with his own blood. That's how much the flock matters to God. that is the flock that these elders are to take care of, to be vigilant towards, to shepherd, to nurture, the very flock of God. Now lastly, before we move on to some application points, these seem like pretty specific commands of Paul. Does he know something that we don't? (laughs) Something about to happen in Ephesus? These are very pointed remarks. Well, it says in verse 29... I know, Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in. Again, this flock imagery. Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. He says, even from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things, trying to draw the disciples away after them. In verse 31, he reiterates what he said in verse 28 but he uses a more intensive verb. He says, therefore, be alert, be awake, be up, ready. Be alert, remembering my example, that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. Here we get the instructions to the elders connecting back to Paul's example. All of these traits make up A true Christian leader. So, to just reiterate, summarize, first, Paul models leadership through humility, boldness, and undiscriminating attention. He then exhorts the elders specifically to be vigilant and to care for the church. Now, in about seven months, Like I said, Mike is going to leave. Picture the elders and I on the coast of Miletus waving goodbye as he sets sail. That'd be cool. (laughs) Right? What needs to happen, church, for Mike to feel ready to leave? Well, first, for me, Pastor, I need to be three things. (laughs) I need to be humble, bold, and undiscriminating. I need not to be arrogant or thinking my opinions are better than yours or intellectually here and lording it over you know, (laughs) I need to be a listener. I need to be modest. I need to be gentle. I need you to call me out when I'm not. I need to be humble. Slave of the Lord. Second, I need to be bold. This is hard for me. I hate confrontation so much. You probably know that about me. But the Lord has put things on my heart that sometimes I need to say. And it's going to hurt, but it's going to profit you in the end. I need to be bold. I need to be unflinching. I need to be courageous in my speech. Not shrinking back, but being frank. If I have information that I truly think is going to help you, It would be unloving for me to withhold it. I need to be bold, and I need your help. Lastly, I need to be undiscriminating. I need to not only look out for the parents of young children who look like me, think like me, have a similar schedule, not just pay attention to those who I can relate to. No, (laughs) Anyone who walks in that door is to be fair game in my ministry. Undiscriminating attention, inclusion. For the elders, prospective elders, maybe even some of our deacons, primarily, guys, I think we need to be two things. We need to be vigilant, first of ourselves. Eyes open to our own spiritual state. Sensitive to how we're doing. Our sin struggles, our sensitivities. So that we can be attentive to the welfare of the flock. Nobody should know the needs of the flock better than the elders. We should know exactly what it is that our people need. Physically, spiritually, emotionally. Vigilance. Vigilance. Help us, church, to get there. Vigilance so that we can care. So that we can do what a shepherd does. Protect, feed, help grow, heal, multiply, all amidst the sheep, not over them. We need to be characterized by a spirit of intense care, intense love. Help us to get there. Now, this is all very daunting for me, uh, probably for the elders too, but what gives me hope is what Paul says toward the end of the speech. He says, I'm leaving, but... Not going to leave you alone. He says, God and the word of his grace will be with you forever and ever. God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, will be with you even when I leave. So, over the next seven months, church, let's keep these traits at the forefront of our minds humility, boldness, undiscriminating attention, vigilance, and care. Let's keep these traits at the forefront of our minds and hearts so that come December, our Paul will feel ready to leave. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We are so grateful that you do not leave us alone. Even in seasons of massive transition, you do not leave us alone. Lord, whatever the next few months, years hold, you will be with us. Help us, Lord, to look to you, to be connected to you, the one thing that really matters. We love you, Lord, and we pray that you would Be with us as we continue to worship you this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.